Easter Sunday. You all know it's Easter Sunday, right? Um, We also call it Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday for a very good reason, right? It's the day we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead after having been crucified. That was a sad day. This Resurrection Day is a happy day, right? It's It's a glorious day. In truth, though, for those who are believers in and followers of Jesus Christ, every Sunday is a resurrection day. You realize that? Every Sunday is a day we we come together to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and celebrate because He lives, these things in His Word are true. Every day, in fact, I think, for the follower of Christ ought to be a resurrection day when we rejoice in the truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the resurrection of Christ speaks most clearly this truth that He conquered sin and death and hell and that Jesus Christ is God and that He raised from the dead to prove it. The resurrection speaks those truths loud and clear, doesn't it? That Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh and His resurrection proves that that's true. There's another truth though. And we take great confidence in this truth also. It's a truth based in something that happened after Jesus' resurrection. Not only did many, many people witness Jesus' presence on earth after He was resurrected, but we're also told in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus ascended into heaven. He, He went up into heaven and left this earth many days after the resurrection. Not only did many people see Him on earth, but there were those who saw Him ascend into heaven And there's something that was very important that he said to his followers just before his ascension, and we find it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That's not what we're going to study this morning, so you just listen. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So I'm going to ascend, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And that statement from Jesus probably made them think back to another statement Jesus had made to them when we... Hear it in John 16 and verse 7. He told them this, It is to your advantage that I go away. And he was speaking of his ascension. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now who is the Helper? Well, the Helper is the Holy Spirit, right? The Helper is the Holy Spirit. And this is another foundational truth that gives great confidence to the follower of Christ. It's really another Resurrection Sunday truth when you stop and think about it. Without the resurrection, no Holy Spirit in God's people, right? Taking up residence in the souls of God's people. That's really another Resurrection Sunday truth that we rejoice in because of the death and burial and resurrection and ascension of Christ. That's essential. All of Jesus' followers have the Helper He promised to send. We have the Helper. If you're a follower of Christ, you've confessed your sin, you've believed in Jesus Christ, He gives you the Helper. He gives you His Holy Spirit. It happens at at that moment you're converted, at the moment you become a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Him. And we're going to see why that's such an incredible and glorious truth in the book of Romans this morning. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You go back to the about the last third of the of the Bible. If you've taken one of those pew Bibles from from in front of you, and go go to about the last third of the Bible and find the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans is next. Romans chapter eight. 
We're headed there to look this morning. Some have called the book of Romans a precious stone. And chapter 8, the sparkling point of the jewel of that stone, the reason for that is that that many believe that the book of Romans is the greatest book in the New Testament. And Romans 8, the, the greatest chapter in the book of Romans, it's been said of Romans 8 that it is is one of the truly life-changing chapters in the Scriptures. It's the chapter that every believer must understand. Romans chapter 8, and we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning. But I encourage you later today to sit down and take your Bible and read all of chapter 8 in Romans. But we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning. So you follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from mine. Uh, Verses 1 through 4, Romans 8. There is, therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what makes Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, so special? Well, the reason it's so special, the reason it's so important becomes clear after reading Romans 1 through 7. No, we're not going to go back and read Romans 1 through 7. That would take a long time for us this morning. But Paul makes one mention of something very important. He makes one mention of the Holy Spirit in chapters 1 through 7. One mention of the Holy Spirit. It's in chapter 5 and verse 5. But in chapter 8, and if you take time to read it today, you'll see this again and again. In chapter 8, he mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times. In just one chapter, after having mentioned the Holy Spirit only once in seven chapters, in chapter 8, 19 times he mentions the Holy Spirit. No place else in the New Testament are you going to find more references to the Holy Spirit than here. You could call Romans 8 the Holy Spirit's chapter if you wanted to. So, so why all the references to the Holy Spirit? Why, why does he mention the Holy Spirit so many times? Why is that important to us? Well, in the book of Romans, Paul is, is all about showing us the truth of justification by grace through faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole book is about explaining the meaning of salvation by grace through faith alone. It's all about explaining that, helping us understand that. So beginning in the first three chapters of Romans, we're shown just how sinful and hopeless man is. We're shown the complete inability of mankind to save himself by following the law. You know, we've got the law of God in God's Word. And many people think of the Ten Commandments when you think of the, the law of God. And, and in Romans, Paul says, look, you are completely unable in and of yourself to keep God's law to measure up to God's standard of righteousness. Man cannot, and this is where some people are confused, some people think you can save yourself by being good enough. But man cannot save himself by the works of the flesh. It's it's impossible to do enough good works to make yourself acceptable before God. 
In fact, Romans 3.23, some of you are very familiar with this passage, sums this up very clearly when it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in the next verse in Romans 3, in verse 24, Paul shows us the gospel of grace. He says, you're all sinners, but... I mean, every person on earth is, is a sinner, un, incapable of measuring up to God's standard, but God is gracious. He shows us God's grace. And we're in desperate need of God's grace because it's just as Paul shows us in the first three chapters of Romans, the just and righteous wrath of God is going to come on sinners. You can count on it. So right from the beginning, we're shown a reason for fear because God's wrath is on sinners. God's wrath will come on sinners. They will not escape God's wrath if they remain in their sin. But then from from partway through chapter 3 in Romans all the way through to the end of chapter 7, there's a clear discussion of the matter of salvation. So, so Paul basically in, verses, in chapters 1 through 3, it's like the news is bad. You're in a desperate situation. You're a sinner, and God is going to judge sinners. You can count on it. But then he changes the tone a bit and starts pointing to God's grace and starts pointing to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. The love of God, think about this, the love of God towards sinners is seen in that that whole discussion comes to a point as we begin in chapter 8. And what a beautiful statement to sinners' ears this is when we come to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 because we've got the bad news. You're a sinner and you're going to face God's judgment. But then here's... Here's some good news. Jesus Christ is powerful and gracious and has died for your sins. And then, and then there's a struggle that takes place. We're going to talk about it in chapter 7. But then you come to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Look at it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful and glorious and wonderful truth. And I'm surprised more of you believers didn't say amen when you heard that read, right? I mean, we ought to be more like, praise God about this truth because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There you go. Here, see, I gave you another chance. So when you come to Romans chapter 8, there's something here that might throw you off. When you come to Romans chapter 8, forget the chapter break. Okay? Forget that there's a number 8 there between Romans 7 and Romans 8. Kind of ignore the chapter break. There's a really a continuation of thought that's going on between 7 and 8. The chapter breaks are not inspired by God. Did you know that? <laughs> they were put in by translators who took the original manuscripts and said, you know, this seems like a good place to break. And, and here's a good place to put a number. The verse numbers, the chapter numbers, those were not inspired by God. And sometimes they help us, sometimes they don't help us. Here they don't help us a whole lot because they might change, cause us to kind of shift gears a little bit between 7 and 8, and we shouldn't do that. We come to Romans 8, kind of ignore the fact that there's a chapter break here and think continuation of thought from chapter 7. The chapter break is not, is not what God put here, but man put it here to help us and doesn't really help us a great deal here. But there's a powerful statement in verse 1. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Now, why is that an important statement? Let's think about what's happening in Romans 7. There's a struggle going on there in Romans 7. And those of you who have read Romans 7 lately know that there's a struggle going on, and Paul talks about it. When you read chapter 7, you need to understand, too, this is very important for us, The struggle that's taking place in chapter 7 is in the life of a believer. 
It's in the life of, a, of one who is a follower of Christ. The one who is in Christ is Paul. This is Paul's own life he's talking about. And I think this is... When I read this, I don't know how, how you feel when you read this, but when I read this, I feel like this is my struggle too. And you, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. We're going to read some of these verses. This is my struggle too when we read chapter 7. I, I think this is clearly, and you may not admit this, you may not see it the same way, but I think this is actually the struggle of every believer. Now what am I talking about? I think this is true of every person who is in Christ. Ask any honest Christian, and they'll say, yep, this is me too. What am I talking about? Back up to chapter 7. And I want you to follow along as I read verses 18 through 25. This is Paul speaking about his own life. Verse 18 in chapter 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He says in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. This is why we say this is a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Verse 23, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see that? Paul says, I'm struggling, I'm fighting with sin, and sin's fighting with me, and I, and I have this mind to do what's right. I want to honor God. I want to please Him. I am His child. But sin just keeps, pardon me, just kind of keeps kicking me in the rear end. All right? Right? He just keep, keeps, seems like sin just keeps coming back and showing its ugly head in my life. And I want to be done with sin. I want to boot sin. I want to be done with send it packing. I want to do what's right. Tell me, believers, honest believers, isn't that you? <laughs> Is that you? That's me. We all struggle with that, right? But then, chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Though you struggle with sin, though you're not done with it yet, though you can't seem to give it the boot and give it the you know tickets home or whatever, you can't send it away. You, there's still no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. That's why we need to be very careful we're not distracted by the chapter break there because you get to the end of chapter 7, you might go, oh my, how desperate. There's, you, come to the next, you come to the next chapter, it's actually just the next verse, and you realize that there's no condemnation for you. You're not condemned, though you still sin. Jesus Christ is not there you know, condemning you because you're still sinning. He's saying, I'm here to help you. I've given you my helper. I've sent you my spirit to help you be done with sin and to kill sin in your life. I've also given you my helper to convict you when you sin so that you are drawn back to the truths of God's Word and you're reminded that these are the things you need to obey. So we need to be careful there of that chapter break. 
This is a continuation of thought. And Paul says, I have this ongoing struggle with the flesh, and I've been made new in Christ, but I still struggle with sin. I, I still haven't conquered sin. That is every Christian, isn't it? That's each of us as followers of Christ. We ought never to think that we're going to be perfectly sinless this side of heaven. We still deal with temptation and failure. Christians still sin. Now, there are some in the world who think Christians ought not still sin. It's usually your, your, you know, your unbelieving coworker who says, huh, I can sin, but you can't, right? And that's helpful for us sometimes to say, you know what? I need to live like I'm God's child. I need to live with the power of Christ in me because He's put the power of Christ in me. So I need to be daily showing that I'm, that I'm killing sin. Yeah, I need to confess when I'm sinful and say, yeah, I sinned and I was wrong and I, I repent of that before God and I ask for your forgiveness. I'm just trying to do what's right. I, I want to honor God with my life. But that, that needs to be the attitude of every believer this morning. That we face the same kinds of struggles that Paul does. I love the fact that sometimes we put, we, we make much of Paul. We think he's a super Christian. And then we come to chapter 7 of Romans and we find out, wait a minute, he's just like me. Or I'm just like Paul, right? God does call us, of course, to obedience and he equips us with the ability to overcome sin so that as we grow in Christ, we live with Christ's power to sin less. We've got to be becoming more and more like Christ as we become more mature in Christ. But even when we sin, we still remain in Christ. We still are kept in Christ. This is a powerful verse. And when you stop and think about whether or not you are saved eternally, when you give your life to Christ and you repent of sin and trust in Jesus Christ, are you saved only until you sin again? Or are you saved and kept? Verse 1 in chapter 8 says you're kept. <laughs> there is therefore no now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer condemned. No longer convicted. You know, no longer called guilty for your sin. You know, you, you break a law, you may end up in court, and you will be guilty if, if you're tried to be guilty before a, a judge or a jury, and they say you're guilty. There's no changing that. You're guilty, but but your sin is something different. Jesus says, I've I've lived a sinless life, and I've gone to the cross for your sin, and I've taken away the, the debt that you owed, and I've totally removed it, and, and I've taken away the guilt that was yours, and I've totally removed it, and I've taken it on myself so that I paid the debt and I took the guilt, and you're no longer guilty. You are now righteous in Christ, as Paul says in in verse 25 of chapter 7, and we, this ought to be our attitude, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I want to do right. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I still fight sin. But, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Yes. If you are in Christ, you're with Paul in this. If it weren't for Christ and His suffering on the cross for your sin, Christ paying in full the price for your past sin, paying in full the price for your present sin, paying in full the price for your future sin, Christ paying in full that debt that you owed, you would still be condemned. You would still be guilty before God. Condemned by God's righteous requirement that the law reveals. You see, the law is good for that in that it reveals your sinfulness. God's law helps you see very clearly that you are a sinner in need of saving. 
and that you are unrighteous. The law is good in that it reveals your sinfulness, but it's also condemning. It doesn't just reveal your sin, it also condemns you in your sin. It condemns you to death for your sin. God takes sin very seriously. He will not, he will not take sin lightly. He cannot take sin lightly. But when Christ comes, and when Christ suffers and dies for your sin on the cross, when that, that thing He did over 2,000 years ago now, and that thing is done and complete, when He suffered for you on the cross and died for your sin, and when He was raised from the dead for your justification, it's like you never sinned. That's incredible. It's like you never sinned. Now, we know we did sin, and we do sin. We still sin, right? But He pays the price. He takes it all on Himself. For those who are not in Christ, and this could be you today, if you've not repented of your sin, if you've not gone to God in prayer and said, God, I am a sinner, and I repent of my sin, I want to turn from my sin, so I turn to Christ. If you have not believed in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin and salvation, then you remain condemned in your sin. You remain condemned in your sin. And Paul makes it clear here in Romans that you will face God's judgment one day. In fact, without Christ's forgiveness, you are already condemned. But Jesus, right? Jesus went to the cross and He went there to fulfill the law's requirement that you owe for your sin. And if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Now, in the remaining three verses, I want you to see three powerful results of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because this is a glorious truth. And the next three verses, verses 2, 3, and 4, help us understand it more fully. Here's the first one. Three powerful results of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The first one is this. There's no condemnation, which means that in Christ you are set free from the law of sin. In Christ you are set free from the law of sin. Look at verse 2 again in chapter 8. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So listen to this. If you, if you have trusted in Christ... If you've trusted in Him for salvation from your sin, then sin has no claim on you. Sin has no claim on you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, which means you are liberated from the penalty for your sin. You see, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. There's something greater than the law of sin. And it's the law of the Spirit of life found only in Jesus Christ. There's something greater than the law of sin and death, and it's the law of the Spirit of life. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God sets you free when you believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God's Holy Spirit sets you free, makes you free from sin's penalty, sin's grasp. Now, how can this be? How are we set free from sin's claim on us? Because very clearly, God's Word makes the case very clear that we are all sinners and we all deserve God's righteous and just judgment. How? How can this be? How are we set free from sin's claim on us? It's seen in the second powerful result of there being no condemnation. No condemnation means that in Christ, the price for your sin has been paid. The price for your sin has been paid. Verse 3, look at it. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. We've established already that every person is a sinner, right? Every, whether you agree or not, that's what the Bible says. Every person is a sinner. And because we're sinners, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve it. His just and righteous judgment. And in our sin, we are powerless to do anything about it ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are powerless to do anything about it. The law of sin and death reveals our depravity, doesn't it? The law of sin and death shows us how helpless we are to do anything about our own sin. Who can keep all the law of God perfectly? Who? Who among us can keep the law? None of us, right? Who on earth is completely righteous? Who can, who can live a life and, and have no sin? None of us. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verses 9 through 12, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and he means everybody on earth, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. I think we get a few more no ones or not, you know, not anybody's or none's in there, in there. Is it any clearer than this? No one is without sin. And no one has done any good. No one has done true righteousness because outside of Christ, even our good things that we look around and say, no, that's a good thing that that person has done or you've done good. If you do it outside of Christ, it's not for God's glory and you're still in sin and there are still things you are guilty for, right? No one is without sin, but God in Christ provides what's greater than the law of sin and death and it's the law of the Spirit of life. God's Holy Spirit gives life to all who believe in the Son. So there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus, which means that you're set free from the law of sin. That's a beautiful truth from this Romans passage. Jesus Christ took on the flesh of mankind and lived how no one has ever lived before or ever will have. He lived a completely sinless life. He's the only one who can perfectly fulfill the requirement of God's law. That's what verse 3 means when it says that God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. It wasn't that Jesus came and lived like a sinner. It was that He came and took on human flesh and didn't live like a sinner. He lived without any sin. And, and His sinless life, with His sinless life, He condemned sin as He lived in human flesh. He went to the cross and He condemned sin as He went to the cross and suffered what we should suffer. And that points to this third powerful result of no condemnation. Thirdly, there's no condemnation which means that in Christ, sin holds no power over you. Sin holds no power over you. That's why we can go back to Romans 7 and rejoice with Paul. When we get to the end of Romans 7, because we rejoice with Paul. Oh me, that's me, Paul. You're, you're, you're verbalizing what my life looks like on the inside. I struggle too, Paul. But we can come to this passage this morning and, and we can see in verse 4 that no condemnation means that in Christ sin holds no power over you. 
Jesus lived a sinless life and died a cruel death for our sin and condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, this verse tells us that in Christ, sin holds no power over us. Right? If you are in Christ, sin holds no power over you. The law requires perfect righteousness. Who is perfectly righteous? There's only one, Jesus Christ. But even as believers, we're not, we're not perfectly righteous, are we? We still sin, even as followers of Christ. So, so how are we to overcome sin? How are we saved from sin's penalty? How are we empowered to live lives of obedience even when we daily fight sin? How? We don't do it. You realize that? We don't do it. You don't do it. I don't do it. I hope that's clear by now. That's what Paul is saying back in chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, that is, my old nature, for I have the desire to do what is right. Why? Because now he's God's child and he has God's Spirit working in him to to give him the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's talking about his own flesh. I don't have the ability in and of myself to do what's right. I have the desire to do what's right now, but I need something else. And that something else is the Holy Spirit. Now we're in chapter 8 and Paul points us to the work of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness that's that's ours in Christ, that's required of us by the law, is fulfilled in Christ. That righteous requirement is fulfilled in Christ. Something we cannot do in and of ourselves. We're with Paul in this if we're in Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, you want to do what's right. Right? If you're in Christ, you want to do what's right. But you struggle to do what's right. Right? And we struggle. We often do what's wrong. But because of Christ, and because sin holds no power over you, you are not condemned for your sins any longer. See, Jesus Christ took that condemnation on Himself. You are no longer condemned. You aren't condemned for your sin any longer. Jesus Christ took that, and that means that God won't reject you. You ever stop and think about that? I may still struggle with sin, but God's not like... You know, I'm going to be done with you one more time, buddy. You know, I'm sending you packing. You're you're going away. I'm, God, God's never going to condemn us because He poured out His wrath on His Son Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you're in Christ, you not need not fear God's rejection of you. God will not reject you. You may struggle with sin. And God may discipline you. And you can be thankful that He does. But He has given you His Holy Spirit, the Helper, which has taken up residence in your soul. And you now walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And if you're in Christ, thankfully God does discipline you. You realize that? That God disciplines the Son He loves. The daughter of the Son in Christ He loves. If God disciplines you and He corrects you, He's helping you. And we ought to be thankful for that. Like a good father disciplines his son. A disobedient son needs the loving correction of his father, right? 
And, and God is that way with us. He lovingly corrects us. He lovingly sends us discipline that we need to help us see what's, what's necessary for honoring Him, for, for living a truly joyful life. Like a good father disciplines a disobedient son, you and I certainly face God's discipline when we, when we sin, but He's never going to reject us. Just like a good father would never reject a rebellious son. He may bring discipline to help correct him, but he will not. a good father will never say, you are no longer my son. See, God will never reject you because of your sin. God doesn't reject you when you sin, just like that good father won't reject a son when he's disobedient. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are not rejected by God when you sin. There's great joy and hope for us, isn't there? To realize God is not going to send us away because we, we still fight with sin. And if you are in Christ because the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in you by the work of the Spirit, you will not face punishment for your sin. Again, we may face discipline, and discipline can be painful at times, but God's never going to punish you. He's not angry at you for your sin. You will not face punishment for your sin because Jesus Christ has already taken the punishment that you deserve on Himself. God put the punishment on Him. And God is not angry. He's not angry with you when you sin. You see, when we sin, we tend to get angry with ourselves, don't we? And then in turn, we tend to get angry with others who sin. But usually it starts because we're angry with ourselves. And it usually happens, I know when, when it happens for me, it's usually when I'm looking at sin in my kids' lives and I'm going, Dagnabbit, I told you not to do that. And I'm doing the same thing, right? And I'm angry with myself. And I don't want them sinning like I sin. But God's not angry with you when you sin. When you sin, you do tend to get angry with yourself and kind of beat yourself up and you're steeping guilt on yourself. And, and there is a measure of guilt we need to feel. Let's not, let's not forget that. We do need to be guilty so that we'll say, you know what, I'm wrong. I need to repent and get right and do what's right. But we need not pile up guilt on ourselves and punish ourselves because God's not angry with us. He's not punishing us. He punished His Son, Jesus Christ for your sin. But God says, I put all that on my son, the guiltless one. I put your guilt on him. So you ought to be done with guilt. Let guilt drive you to the cross. Let guilt drive you back to Christ and what He's already accomplished for you, what He's already done if you're in Christ. God in His Word says here in verse 4, I sent my son so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. My righteous and holy and just standard of, of obedience and righteousness, that requirement that you cannot fulfill, it's fulfilled in Christ. And what a wonderful and glorious truth today on this Resurrection Sunday that there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My question for you today is, are you in Christ Jesus? See, that's the most important thing today. And if you don't deal with it today, it's going to be the most important thing tomorrow. And if you don't deal with it tomorrow, you know where I'm going, right? It's going to be the most important thing for you on Tuesday. What, do you, what have you done with Christ? 
I'm so thankful that you're here today worshiping together with us, coming together to, to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But have you submitted your life to His authority over you? Have you realized what He's accomplished for you? Just in looking at these four short verses in Romans 8 this morning, have you seen afresh what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you? And do you realize that you need to repent of your sin and trust in Him if you, if you are not in Christ? If you're not a believer in Christ, you can deal with that now. We're going to bow our heads in a, in a moment and pray. And you can deal with that now. You can give your life to Christ. You can say, God, I am, I am a sinner and I want to believe in your Son, so help me help me trust in Him. Give your trust to God and to His Son, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ. And He will begin a work anew in you. He will give you His Holy Spirit and He will help you be done with sin and to be more like His Son Christ. You will be in Christ. And these things will be true of you that we read this morning. There will be no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. Can I give you a warning? If you don't deal with Christ, if you don't repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. I can't, I can't get any more solemn than that, right? For those of you who are in Christ... For those of you who sometimes think, oh, you know, I've got to, I've got to be better than yesterday because God is, you know, watching me. He's not real pleased with me right now and I, and I want to please God. Oh, you ought to want to please your, your heavenly Father. Okay? But you don't need to measure up. Jesus Christ did that. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. You need to live in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ every day, realizing that His Son paid the price for your sin. And though you struggle with sin, and you're going to have a hard time being completely done with sin this side of heaven, you can live each day in the power of Christ because of what He has accomplished for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, and we've worshipped you during this hour. We've lifted our voices in song. We've lifted our voices in prayer. We've come before Your Word as as we've opened it. And and Father, I pray that You would continue to take Your Word and drive it deep into our hearts and help us to see the powerful and necessary truths revealed to us here that because of Christ, because of Christ, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Father, I pray for your children that they would be strengthened and encouraged today to live more faithfully for you, but to not live daily in fear or daily heaped up guilt that we would feel like we we don't measure up. Because without Christ, we don't, but with Christ, we do. We're righteous in your eyes because of Christ. And you've given us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to, to indwell us, to help us. And so, Lord, as we identify with Paul and we struggle with sin, Lord, help us. And help us to honor you. Help us to be settled and to rest in Christ. That what he's accomplished, he accomplished for us if we're in Christ. And for unbelievers this morning, Lord, I pray, draw them to yourself. Open their eyes to see how necessary it is for them to turn to you today. Repenting of sin. Believing in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin and salvation. That you would give them your Holy Spirit, to help them become more like your Son. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to worship and 
in honoring you in this way today. Help us to continue to honor you the rest of our week as we go into the week ahead. Help us to honor you as a church, as a people who are yours for your son's glory. Help us to live for your son's glory this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.